Well, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Chris Worzowski. I serve as one of the campus life pastors at our Lewis Center campus. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you were able to uh, spend some time with some loved ones and enjoy some of your favorite Thanksgiving foods. Um, it was interesting. I read a story uh, a couple weeks ago about a Thanksgiving that took place about uh, about 100 years ago in 1926. Uh, the White House was actually getting ready for Thanksgiving. Uh, Calvin Coolidge was the president at the time, and a guy by the name of Benny Joyce from Mississippi sent a gift, a live raccoon. He sent it all the way to the White House in Washington, D.C. for the purpose of having it killed and served as part of the Thanksgiving meal. Pretty interesting, right? I don't, I don't know, raccoons, Thanksgiving, I don't know if that was a thing in Mississippi, Mississippi but what happened next was, was pretty, uh, pretty interesting. The president decided to offer the raccoon pardon and chose to adopt the raccoon as an official presidential pet. He and the first lady would go on to name the raccoon Rebecca. And we actually have a photo of Rebecca the raccoon with the first lady. And I think you and I can rest assured that there was nobody more thankful on Thanksgiving day in 1926 than Rebecca the raccoon. You know, every year this national holiday, Thanksgiving, is meant to be a time for all of us to pause, to reflect, and to be thankful. And while it may seem like time is already snowballing towards Christmas, we're gonna do that today. We're gonna pause. We're gonna spend some time looking at Psalm 100, known as a Psalm for giving thanks. You know, one of the things that I find uh, interesting about the Psalms, this collection of songs and hymns and poems, um, is that it really speaks to the complicated tapestry of the human experience, both in the highs, in the lows, in the celebrations and the sufferings. And in the midst of that tapestry, the Psalms regularly give us reason for hope, for joy, and for thanksgiving. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, we're gonna look at Psalm 100 verses one and two, which read, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness come into his presence with singing. Psalm 100 begins with a call to action. A few weeks ago, a good friend of mine and I, we went to a professional basketball game. If you've ever been to an NBA game, you know that usually they have an arena host who kind of serves as a, a hype man for the crowd. Uh, he gets everybody engaged in what's happening. He gives you reasons to celebrate and to cheer and to really lend your voice to celebrate the team and, and all the good things that's happening. I like to think of the writer of Psalm 100 as our hype man, if you will. And he invites us to join all the earth in making a joyful noise, to shout, to cheer, to lend our voice, to celebrate. And if you think about it, we're all wired to do this. We are all wired to give our voice to things that matter to us. And we see that all the time in the context of sports, right? Whether we're at the arena or at the stadium or even at home in our living room, sitting on the couch. When our team scores a basket, when they score a touchdown, we cheer and we celebrate. And when our team isn't doing exactly well, we might be yelling at our TV screen. We're just not celebrating, right? We all give our voice to things that matter to us. The psalmist, our hype man, he tells us to serve the Lord with gladness. We do this too. We give our effort to things that matter to us. And I'm so grateful to be part of a church where people from across our campuses regularly give their best effort to serve and be part of what God is doing in and through the local church. 
I'll never forget a few years ago, Carol, who is one of our LifePoint Kids leaders, uh, she leads a junior small group, that's our preschool small groups. And she invited the kids who were part of her small group and their families to come to her house. See, her kids were getting ready to graduate to move up into the next, next group and she wanted to celebrate with them. And so her and her husband, James, they invited us all over. And when we got there, uh, they had decorations up, they had ice cream, they had yard games, and they had even rented one of those inflatable bounce houses. And I'll never forget that Carol and her small group were all together in the bounce house, jumping up and down together. Now listen, Carol has adult children of her own, and she was jumping up and down in the bounce house with them. And then after a little while, she got out of the bounce house and she pointed to all the dad to the dads and she said, okay, fathers, it's your turn. Why don't you come and celebrate with your kids as well? Why would Carol do all of that for those kids? Well, it's because the kids in her small group, they matter to her. Those families that she serves, they matter to her and God's activity in their lives matter to Carol. See, we give our effort to the things that matter to us. The psalmist tells us to enter God's presence with singing. You and I, we show up to things that matter to us, don't we? We give our presence to be at whatever activities or gatherings or to be with people that matter to us. Presence is when two beings enter uh, increased proximity to one another. And so we're invited to show up to give our presence to be in God's presence. Why? Because there is something significant that takes place when God's people gather to worship and to sing and to celebrate him. Uh, in fact, in the Bible, the most given command is to pray, but you know what the second most given command is? It's to sing. There's something about singing that connects our heart to God and connects us to the corporate people of God. See, you and I were hardwired to give our voice, our presence and our effort to things that matter to us. These are all ways that we worship. These are all ways that we worship. And worship really comes from two old English words. The first meaning worth and the other meaning reverence paid. Reverence paid. In other words, we believe, or excuse me, we worship what we believe is worthy. We worship what we believe is worthy. And the psalmist continues in Psalm 100, verse three. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. See, for the, for the psalmist, only God is worthy of our worship. You know, when we think about the Israelite people in the Old Testament who would have sang this song, they would have actually sang this song um, at festivals and at celebrations. And as they sang this song, we see throughout so much of the Old Testament, they had these deep desires as a people. There was really three key desires, three things that they longed for as a people. One, they wanna live good lives in a good land under the reign of a good king. They wanna live good lives in a good land under the reign of a good king. And yet throughout their history, we see tensions with these longings. We see external tensions and we also see internal tensions. Uh, firstly, in the external tensions, there was other nations that surrounded them, other people groups, other cultures that they rubbed shoulders with that oftentimes were antagonistic and even violent towards them. Likewise, they had internal tensions as well. They had tensions within themselves to find the answers to their longings as a people outside of their relationship with God. 
See, they had longings for safety and security, significance, identity, and even hope. And they were often tempted to look outside of their relationship with God for those things. And so as a people, they experienced real tensions and yet the psalmist reminds them and he reminds us that even in the midst of navigating and carrying tensions, they and we have a reason to worship. He says to know that the Lord, he is God. In the same way that they experience tensions in their time, so we experience tensions in ours. If we're being honest, we're gonna go about our week this, this week and we're gonna experience tensions in our daily lives. We're gonna experience tensions with the culture around us. We're gonna experience tensions in the complexities of our jobs or at school or even in navigating relationships. And I think for some of us, even as we celebrated Thanksgiving this week, we had to navigate tensions with our families. And I think the psalmist would remind us that whatever tensions that we're carrying, that we're navigating, however chaotic the world may seem, however confusing or disorienting the times are, whatever tensions that we're holding, he would remind us that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, that he reigns, that he is the divine ruler. He is the supreme God. He is the one true God who reigns. And while life won't ever be perfect on this side of heaven, and while there will always be tensions for us to carry and navigate, we can find comfort and reason for worship because God reigns. I was having a conversation a couple weeks ago with my nine-year-old daughter, Ella, and uh, she knew I was gonna be teaching this morning. And she asked me, she said, Daddy, what what are you gonna be teaching on? I said, well, Ella, I'm gonna teach on a Psalm that helps us understand why we should worship God. And she kind of said back to me in her nine-year-old way, she said, well, that's obvious. He made us, didn't he? See, sometimes the simplest truths, the truths that even a child can understand are the most profound truths. I mean, think about it. The one true God who reigns, the one true God who created all the heavens and all the earth and all the cosmos, he chose to create you and he chose to create me. And we're not here without him. We're not existing in this moment without him. I wonder if you've seen any of the images from the James Webb telescope. Uh, NASA, a few weeks ago, launched a telescope into space. It's flying through space right now, taking pictures of the cosmos and and sending those pictures back to us. Uh, We'll show you a few of those pictures here, but, but they're absolutely incredible to see how powerful God is and some of the amazing things in the cosmos that he is created. And as you look at some of those pictures, I wanna read to you Psalm 8, verses three to five. It says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. God is worthy of our worship. One, because he reigns. Two, because he made us. And three, because he has chosen to make us his. When we read Psalm 100 throughout the filter of the grand narrative of scripture, we see that the scope of God's people was not ultimately intended to be limited to just the people of Israel. 
But instead, all of scripture points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, through him and his work, God's design, God's plan was to extend his mercy to establish a new relationship for a new people of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue, so that he might make a new people for himself. Second Peter talks about this in chapter two. It says, but you, talking about God's people through Jesus Christ, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, God not only made us, but he made us for relationship with him. And he proved it by sending his son to earth in order that we could have relationship with God again. And it's within the context of that relationship that we experience his goodness. You know, it's fascinating to me that time and time again in the scriptures, God chooses to describe himself or use the illustration of a shepherd. And I'll be honest to say, it doesn't really surprise me that he uses the illustration, however, to describe us, you and me, as people, as sheep. Um, if you've done any research in regards to sheep, you know that uh, where sheep roam and where they graze matter greatly. And do you know Why? because sheep will eat whatever seems good to them, regardless of, it, of if it's actually good for them or not. In fact, some of the most beautiful flowers, flowers that we would find in gardens, azaleas and daffodils, they're beautiful and yet they are completely toxic for sheep. You know, I mentioned that the people of Israel often felt this tension to look outside of God for the longings that they had as a people. And when they did, do you know what they experienced? They often experienced disappointment and they often experienced pain. And I think for you and I, we have to be mindful that, that we have this propensity as well to look outside of God for the satisfaction of our souls. Whatever it is that we long for, belonging, significance, purpose, understanding, security, love. These are all things that we long for and it's not wrong to long for these things. In fact, I would argue that, that we are designed to long for these things, but we will never find these longings completely satisfied outside of a relationship with the God who made us. Psalm 107.9 says, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. You know, the psalmist said to know. Think about that word, to know. He said to know that the Lord is God and that he made you and that through his mercy seen in Jesus Christ, through his mercy, he has made you his and that his good pastures are for you. So let me ask you, do you know that? Do you know that? Because there's a difference between knowing and knowing information, knowing personally. There's a difference between knowing intellectually, which is important, and knowing experientially. 
uh, let me help you understand this with a couple illustrations. So have you ever had a uh, conversation or maybe a better word is argument with somebody where you couldn't um, agree on something that to you didn't seem like a matter of opinion, but it was a matter of fact, so much to the point that you knew you were right where it caused a response in you because you just knew in your depths, you knew you were right. Have you ever had an argument or a conversation like that? I was talking with a friend of mine. Um, There's a song by a classic rock band, uh, Credence Clearwater Revival, and the name of the song is Bad Moon Rising. And in the song, there is a line that says, uh, there is a bad moon rising tonight. And she and a friend were having this conversation. And uh, my friend thought that that lyric was actually, there is a bathroom on the right. And she and this friend were having this conversation, a kind of an argument, um, because her friend knew the correct lyric and my friend was completely wrong about the lyric. Could you imagine just understanding and knowing, hey, you don't really know the lyric. The lyric is that there is a bad moon rising tonight. I think we can all empathize with maybe what her friend's feeling was in that moment. Or think about it this way. So my favorite part of the Thanksgiving meal is dessert. And one of my favorite desserts is chocolate cake. Uh, but unfortunately, I can't bake very well. I, I can't make a cake delicious at all. Um, but let's say you're gonna be a good, kind, generous friend. And you said, Chris, I'm gonna make a chocolate cake for you. And not only am I gonna make a chocolate cake for you, but I'm gonna tell you all about what I'm gonna do and how I'm gonna make it. And you're gonna tell me about the flour you're gonna use. And you're gonna have the perfect mix of butter and sugar and cocoa and and whatever else. And you're gonna tell me about the different types of chocolate you're gonna use and how there's different layers. And you're gonna tell me this this cake, Chris, is gonna be delicious. And and I would believe you. I would think, yeah, that sounds pretty good. But you wanna know when I'm gonna know it's good? When am I gonna know that it's delicious? When am I gonna really know? It's when you bring that cake and you hand me a slice of that cake and I begin to taste and see and know that that cake, it truly is delicious good. Psalm 34 tells us, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so let me ask you, do you know that he's good? Do you know that he is God? Do you know that he chose to make you and he chose to extend his mercy to make you his through his son, Jesus Christ? And do you know that he is the only one who can satisfy your soul? Because if you do, Psalm 100 tells us what our natural response should be in verses four and five. The psalmist writes, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. You know, for the people of Israel, the imagery given in verse four would not have been arbitrary language or terms for them, but they would have been um, real places. There would have been real physical gates that they would have walked through um, to go to the temple. And there would have been real physical courts where the people would praise God. And I think for us, especially around this time of year, I think you and I can be tempted uh, really in three days in regards to the idea of thanksgiving and giving thanks. One, I think we can be tempted to make the idea of thankfulness and thanksgiving somewhat arbitrary. Two, I think we can make being thankful only about what we have. And three, I think we can miss out on the intended purpose, the intended result of thanksgiving. 
Rather, what I would encourage us to do is pursue thanksgiving that results in praise. I truly believe that we can pursue thanksgiving in such a way that it results in praise in our lives. But how do we do that? How do we do that in a way that's not arbitrary? I, uh, I recently uh, read an article about somebody at Harvard, a professor at Harvard, who really struggled with ne- negativity. They had negative thoughts all the time. They responded to things in negative ways. They talked about things negatively. I mean, negativity was just a regular part of their life. And a mentor of hers introduced her to an old Jewish practice of listing a hundred blessings throughout each day. So her goal was to write down every day 100 blessings for 30 consecutive days. And here was the catch. She could not repeat any of the blessings she wrote down. And she said that while it was incredibly difficult and at times she got stuck, she kept at it. She kept going. She kept thinking and pondering. And she said it began to transform her thought life. You know, this story is reflective of what we're commanded to do in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. It tells us, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Listen, I know the next four, five, six weeks are gonna be incredibly busy. We're gonna have people over that we're hosting, things we need to be at, things we need to prepare, things we need to plan, places we need to travel to, even things we need to buy. But in this unique season of time, you and I have an opportunity to do exactly what Philippians 4 encourages us to do, to think on the things that will produce thanksgiving and praise in our lives. Well, why would we do that? Well, one, because frankly, it's, it's good for our souls. And two, because God is worthy of it. Now, how you and I think on these things is gonna look different based on on how we're wired. Some of us, we think well when we start to write out lists. Some of us like lists. I'm a list person. That helps me think and reflect and ponder. Some of us are artistic. We like to draw illustrations and some of us even like to paint. Some of us like writing. We journal or we write letters. Some of us just need to go sit somewhere quietly, maybe at a park to contemplate. So where do we start? What do we, what do we think about? Well, I think the temptation, especially this time of year, is to start with what we have and the things that we own, our possessions. But I would, I would encourage us to follow what the psalmist does in, psalmist 100, in Psalm 100. He says, what he does is he focuses on the character of God. Let's start there. Let's start with who God is. Is. Let's start on his character and his activity, and we'll eventually get to what he has also provided. So I did this. I spent some time this week, and I just started in verse five. I started as a starting point, and I just kind of wrote a list out as a prayer, and this is what I wrote. I said, God, I thank you. I thank you that you're good, that you're steadfast, that you're loving, that your love endures forever, that you love me, that you love my family, that you're faithful, you're faithful to me, you're faithful to the people I love. You've been faithful to the people who have come before me and you're gonna be faithful to the people who are gonna come after me. 
And as we think on these things, as we think on the character of God, we will grow in thanksgiving that results in praise. And as a result, we will have a much bigger view of who God is. I don't know if you've ever read the children's stories, the the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, written by the author and theologian C.S. Lewis. Um, But in the second book, Prince Caspian, we see the scene with Lucy, one of the children who has ended up in the land of Narnia for the second time. She's a year older, and she has been reunited with Aslan the lion, who in the Chronicles of Narnia books, he kind of serves as the Christ figure, if you will. And Lucy notices something about Aslan a year later. And let me read these four simple but profound lines to you. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. And Aslan replies, that is because you are older, little one. She says to him, not because you are. And Aslan says to her, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Friends, as we grow in thanksgiving, as we pursue thanksgiving, God will be magnified in our hearts and in our minds. Even as we hold tensions in our life, God is going to be magnified. Christ, the personal work of Christ, he will be magnified in our lives and we'll grow. We'll find him bigger. And the result will be that we will praise him, we will worship him, we'll give our voice, we'll give our effort, we'll give our presence to magnify him. The one true God who made us, who extended his mercy to make us his, whose good pastures are for us, whose steadfast love endures forever, and who is faithful to all generations. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you and we ask you to help us do this. God, would you make yourself bigger to us? God, would you give us a greater understanding and awareness of who you are? And God, as we navigate the tensions of our days, the tensions of our lives, that we would find the satisfaction of our souls in God, help us not to miss this unique season of the year, God. Help us not to miss this. Help us to not miss the opportunity to draw closer to you as you magnify yourself to us, God. Lord, may this be a season for us in which we, in which we worship you more. God, I pray for any of us right now that are listening in or watching this, God, that don't know you they haven't trusted that Jesus is enough to satisfy the longings of their soul. God, help them to see that your son, his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection is enough. That it's enough, God, that we can trust in in who Jesus is and his work to have relationship with you again. And God, within that relationship, we can experience your goodness both now and forever. God, I pray for us as a church. God, I pray that we would make much of Jesus and that he would be magnified in and through our lives as we worship you. God, we thank you and we love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.